The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. It's all good in the neighborhood. Peace of mind, just like we should. Trouble fine, it's not so good, yet we're still doing fine. Nothing's right when you are gone. Love is tight, it can't be wrong. Time is right, it won't be long, till we're still doing fine. Today is all we read, then tomorrow's another dream. Hope's a random seed, things are rarely what they seem.
the Tom Sumner Program.com. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, my guest this hour is the author of Everyone Dies. No, I'm sorry, Everyone Dies Famous. And it's a story from the heartland about the uncommon lives of everyday people, the choices they make, how they live their lives, and how they die by author Len Joy, who joins, joins me now by phone. Len, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Tom, very much. I appreciate this opportunity. Len, is this, um, is this a first-time novel? No, this is my uh, third novel, uh, and this is actually uh, uh, my first novel, American Pastime, was you know, used the same characters, but it was 30 years earlier. So this is a, uh, it's not really a sequel because it's a standalone novel, but it is, um, uh, I had created the characters, so I wanted to use them again. Interesting. Um, so it's, uh, I've, I don't know that I've ever seen a sequel or, or a follow-up book jump that big a span. Yeah, um, the first book is uh, called American Pastime, and it's the story of a dancer, Stonemason. He's a young, uh, uh, up-and-coming minor league pitcher, uh, and he's about to be, and he's, it's in Missouri. It's all set in uh, south-central Missouri, and he's a, uh, about to be called up to them. He gets noticed that he uh, told that he'll be coming up to pitch for the St. Louis Cardinals uh, in, for the Labor Day doubleheader, uh, but he's got one more game to pitch. Uh, his son's in the crowd, and he wants to pitch uh, that game, so they, uh, the manager says, oh, you can pitch three innings. And But he's pitching so well, he's got a perfect game going that he stays in the game, and he ends up um, pitching a perfect game but he injures his arm and uh, his life sort of unravels from that. He doesn't get his call up. You know, he ends up leaving baseball. And, and the novel, uh, this first novel, takes place from the early 50s and ends with the um, uh, Vietnam War. It's sort of a history of uh, U.S. post-war history with, you know, the space program and all of the events that were in the civil rights issues, stuff that were taking place in the uh, 60s and 70s. Uh, and he, he ends. It's sort of a story of redemption. Uh, he, he, he falls and stumbles, and you know, at the end of the novel, he's finally uh, come to terms with, you know, he's going to he's leaving the small town and going to become a pitching coach in a small major league team somewhere else. And you know, his son has returned from Vietnam, and that's that's how that novel ends. Uh, had a nice cast of characters, and I wanted to revisit them, and I um, in this next in this third novel and i instead of having a 20-year span uh, everyone dies famous takes place in uh, 2003 and dancer now is a, a 70 year old grouchy old man sort of he's come back to the small town and is living with his son clayton who has died tragically just before the novel begins and the whole novel takes place in 14 hours on, and we, you know from the first page that a a tornado has hit the town and devastated it, and it's the the story. And then jumps back 14 hours from just before the tornado hits. Now, interestingly, you were born in New York, and uh, when you went to the University of Rochester, you had dreams of being a football hero and a world uh, uh, 
world-renowned or a world-famous novelist. So you had an interest in writing very early on, but then you seemed to shift gears and do everything but that. Yeah, I mean, I was sort of joking. <laughs> like, I, you know, I, you have these easy, like, it just seemed like a nice life, you know, like write these novels and be acclaimed and stuff. And I, I did have an interest in writing. It wasn't like a wasn't strongly held because I got one little bump in the road in my first year as a freshman. You know, I had wrote a term paper uh, in my English class, English literature, and you know, the professor just shredded it. And, you know, at 18, you're, I'm just sensitive and wasn't used to criticism and just didn't feel like I had, you know, that wasn't a good plan. So I uh, switched to um, economics and ended up going to business school and 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 went off and had a business career for a couple, 20 years or so. Uh, but it was the right move for me at the time. You know, you, it takes a while. To, but I, it made me appreciate that you should be careful about how you criticize other people's works in writers' workshops because, you know, when they're young, it, it's easy to get uh, get your morale, you know. Well, to get discouraged. Yeah. And, and, uh, but, and yet... <laughs> You can't really be a successful writer and and be afraid of criticism. No, and <laughs> like a life in like you know I went I had a manufacturing company and we sold uh, you know, remanufactured engines for twenty years to you know customers like AutoZone and and Checker Auto Parts and stuff and and they're really difficult. I mean they're they're great customers. I always say that, but they're not. You know you better be used to criticism because they're really good at giving that and uh, as well as our employees and suppliers so you know it was a after you know that life in the manufacturing world um, it, you know the criticism of them some reviewer telling me they didn't like my story is not it doesn't hurt quite as much and, and I accept it well you were you were commuting at that time or, or at some point um, for several years from Chicago to uh, Phoenix I believe yeah um, a little unusual setup, but I uh, I was in business with my brother-in-law, who was um, an engineer and based in Phoenix. And you know, my wife was an attorney and worked in in, Ch- in Chicago. And we had three kids; and they were young. And I figured I'm risking enough. Let's not uproot the the one person who's got a study job. And <laughs> what I did was I, you know, and this was mostly in the '90s. Um, and it was nice to you know I could fly to Phoenix. You know, spend ten days there, um, come back, and you know, work out of my, my home for ten days, and I I did that for almost eighteen years. Um, so I got a lot of mile, air miles, and I had a lot of time on the flights to uh, you know read other novels and um, work on stories and stuff, and just think about you know maybe someday becoming a writer. Well, yeah, you were, um, I was reading something about you, and it said during that time commuting, you read hundreds of novels, um, which kind of renewed your dream of of writing novels yourself. But how much did those novels inform your writing, and how long did it take after you started writing again, or writing in earnest, to find your voice? You know, I am... I actually just, I never thought necessarily I was going to be a novelist, but I really enjoyed writing. Uh, and I had to write a lot in business, mostly, you know, begging for money from banks and, and stuff. So it was a different kind of, of writing. So I, I started writing, 
uh, a Christmas letter every year, um, you know, sort of making fun of the kids and family and stuff, like just to sort of a attempt to be, you know, have fun with it, I guess, and, you know, keep people updated on what was going on in our lives. And uh, I got a lot of really favorable feedback to that. And that was, you know, I found I, I really liked to do that. I liked to get readers and I liked, I wanted to, to write. And I don't know, like just after, in about 2003, I got this um, flyer from the University of Chicago's um, Graham School, you know, adult education. And they probably sent it to me a hundred times. I'd never paid any attention to it, but for some reason I, I answered it and I signed up for a creative writing course. And from there, I just started, you know, I, I got enough encouragement uh, that I took another course and another course, but I didn't think about my voice, really. I just, I have a, you know, a way of writing. I, I got some feedback saying, you know, like, I felt like I wasn't very writerly because my writing is pretty um, lean, I guess. There's not, I, I don't have a lot of ruminations. I don't use a lot of, um, you know, like fairly short sentences. But it, you know, it works for me, and you know, I found writers like my instructors pointed out, like, well, this is like Raymond Carver, and it's a little like Hemingway as far as style, and yeah, I, I found that it was like what I'd like to do. But it was just sort of a natural thing for me. I, I wrote the way I was comfortable writing, and it, I, I think one of the things that really helped early on was taking courses where, you know, you would they'd give you a topic and you'd say, all right, you got to tell this story in 300 words, you know, not 301 or 400 or 500, you got to do it in 300 and, or, you know, whatever the number is, but it, it, it was a, a really good discipline to make you look at every word and not, um, not add anything that isn't um, going to tell the story. So it really may help me to learn how to tell things with a really stripped down style, which is what I have. More with author Len Joy, straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. 
Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. I was telling you a little while ago about my wife, and I don't want you to be confused, but we were, I've been married more, more than once. And in fact, I've been married three, three times. But my first two wives each died a very tra tragic death. My first wife died from eating po poison mushrooms. And my second wife died from a fra fractured skull. She wouldn't eat her mushrooms. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsi than flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More with author Len Joy, straight ahead. This is um, really interesting to me because I get a chance to talk to a lot of writers, Len. Some of them are New York Times bestsellers of thrillers and and a lot of uh, young adult fantasy fiction and and there are all these genres and yet here's what Kirkus wrote about uh, your writing um he was talking about the book uh, better days as a character rich skillfully plotted midwestern drama what in what what stories are you wanting to tell and to whom um, I, I think that what I find as I look back you know, at, at what I've written, uh, these three novels that I have written uh, in, uh, in the collection of short stories, um, I mean, there is a common element, and that's that, you know, I, I tend to write, I'm an athlete, and I've, I've always liked sports, and, you know, I, I think when I first started writing, I was looking for, you know, find a niche where not everybody else was writing about it or at least not everybody in the class so i you know i focused you know almost all my stories have are about someone who's had you know an, an athletic career in the past and it's mostly um the focus is on you know particularly like when i started with american pastime was that 
here's a guy who's had you know this extreme you know the, the pinnacle of, of success in a sense on, on a smaller scale but he's pitched this perfect game you know he's a hometown hero and then it all ends you know, it's sort of the life after the cheering stops <laughs> the thing, kind of thing I'm interested in I think and I didn't mention when I was introducing you, Len, but uh, now's as good a time as any, since you're talking about sports, that you're a nationally ranked triathlete. Yes. Um, you know, I took up tri You know, I was like, I came from a small town, and, you know, like in small towns, I, I, I appreciate the, the opportunity you get, to, like, particularly in the 60s when, the, you know, sports wasn't so specialized, you know, so I could play football and basketball and baseball and that. Those are the three sports they, they offered and, you know, enjoyed that. Uh, and then, you know, after college, you know, went to college and didn't, I didn't, my dream of playing football didn't last very long. I wasn't, wasn't too realistic. Uh, but I, um, you know, I continued to, you know, just do like running and things like that. But then, you know, in the nine, late nineties and all these triathletes, I started reading about them and I thought, well, I'm sort of average at, all those sports, not great at any of them, but maybe by doing all three, I could, you know, could. <laughs> and, you know, that's one of those naive assumptions you find out when you get into it. It's a lot more to it. But uh, I started doing um, per, you know, training for and participating in triathlons back in two, about the same time I started really seriously working on my writing. I'm going to say like 2003, 2004. And, you know, the nice thing about triathlons versus writing is it's all age, you know, you know, you're only competing with people in a five-year, you know, age cohort, you know, not have to compete against all the young people and stuff. So uh, I've enjoyed it because it's sort of a fun sport. You can, uh, uh, you know, to be, like I'm on Team USA for the United States, it, but it, it's, I mean, I like it. I mean, I'm proud to be that. It is something where you, you just have to finish in the top 20 of your age group, uh, which in my case, the age groups keep, you know, the group keeps getting smaller. So <laughs> I can stay healthy. It doesn't, it isn't the challenge it was when I was younger. Um, that's, that's interesting. And, and also it's kind of interesting because it seems like when I talk to people who have done uh, the triathlons and, and marathon rider uh, runners, um, Boy, that was a Freudian slip, marathon yeah. writers. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, marathon writers, or, uh, runners, tend to be competing with themselves more than with other people. Yeah, I mean, that's very much true because it's, like, particularly, like, um, you know, I did an Ironman, um, one Ironman, but it was, uh, you know, like, you all it's like 3,500 of you go in the water together, you know, from 20 years old to 80 years old, you know, it's not, and, you know, the whole, you don't really care. I didn't care, you know, whether, where I finished in my age group is just, you know, you want to do the best you can. You want to make sure you finish. And, and particularly, you know, they don't like, we all race as a group. Uh, I mean, the elite, you know, I've been in a race where Lance Armstrong was actually in it, you know, like, wow best in the, you know, that's the one thing about triathlon, they don't separate out the, the uh, this was after his, uh, he, um, he left the uh, biking world and was trying to do triathlons, but, uh, you know, the elite people race right along with us, regular people, so it's, yeah, you're just trying to, you know, like, you get the stats and you know how, you know, pretty much what, 
what you're capable of doing, then the goal on race day is to actually do what you're capable of. And the um, and, I, and I mentioned uh, accidentally marathon writing, but let's let's talk a little bit about uh, about your writing style. Do these stories kind of tell themselves, or do you have to to like some meticulously outline the characters and and the story and the plot? Yeah, I usually start. I, I think with a, you know like a a character. You know, like I, I try to uh, think about who I'm. What this, you know, what's what's the guy's name? You know, what's his background? What's her, what's his beliefs and you know backstory and and then I usually add in. And this is all just in a thinking process, and I'm not writing anything. I'm just thinking about it, and I you know add in like, well, does he have a family? What's he got? And you know, I I had a like a there's a one of the professors I had, Robert Boswell. He wrote a book called The Half Known World. And he argues that, you know, you don't try to know everything about your character before you start, which is a one way some people do it. But he suggests it's better to not have everything down because then you can be surprised by them. I mean, and basically it's, I put the characters together in, in scenes and sometimes, you know, they just develop in, in ways that you, I'm not, I wasn't really anticipating. So I, I you know, do outline an you know, I have an idea where I think it's going, and as I get farther along, I will try to get more details. But I start with a pretty, uh, pretty rough outline of, of you know where am I starting, where do I think it's going, and then I just start writing and see what happens. Lynn, are you able to write full time now? Yes, um, I say that I'm. Uh, you know, I train my my typical work days. Like, like today, I got up. This is a little one, too, but I got like a 4.30, and I, I, I had a run with my coach. Uh, and then um, uh, usually I'll do some other activity, and by 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning, I had my coffee, and and uh, I sit down, and, and I, I do what I consider writing activities. And it's not always writing. Um, it's like I try to review a lot of people, particularly you know other people that I've been you know in workshops with. You know, we're trying to support each other and, and, and read their work. And you know, I, I believe in trying to post as many reviews as I can because, you know, reviewing helps me to think about my own writing. But um, sometime between 9 to 3 o'clock with you know, little breaks to walk the dog and stuff uh, is sort of my writing work day. And, and then um, the, uh, the, the writing process uh, itself... Do once you once you get started writing, um, is is it somewhat laborious, or or do the stories kind of write themselves, and then you go back and and fix it up in editing? How how does that work for you? Yeah, sometimes it's I find the hardest thing is just some, sometimes getting started. I mean, it's like the blank page, is, you know, which isn't the page anymore, but it's just um, you know the the starting process is. Is, can be a challenge, but I, I try not to. I mean, some people have goals like write, you know, 500 words or a thousand words a day, and I, I don't usually do that. I just um, try to write a good sentence and follow. You know, I have an idea where it is, but it, um, you know, when it's, I find like I got enough stuff. Usually, once I get into the novel, if it's, if I'm not sure where to go with it, or like if I'm stuck for a little bit, I just go back and work on. You know, there's always need to revise, so I. 
I write some forward, and if I'm having trouble going forward, I go back and and reread what I've done and, and fix it or try to improve it. And that usually gives you gives me a, a opportunity to sort of refresh and. And the other process I think that's worked really well for me is that because it's not, you know, I'm out running or taking a long bike ride or doing something, that gives me a chance to think about the stuff with not this pressure to be sitting here at my laptop typing. And it'll give me, you know, I find it just, you know, I think it refreshes your mind and gives you some new ideas like what if what if he does this or something like that. So, yeah, I, it's worked really well for me. I've, been able to once I figured out more or less, you know, how much work is involved. I, you know, like it took me eight years to write the first novel and uh, the second one a, a couple years, and about the same for this third one. I'm, and I'm starting to think now about. Well, I've actually I finished the fourth novel, um, Dry Heat. I call it is the name of it, but it's you know I'm now trying to, you know get it in a, a position to submit to agents or publishers. And, and that's an interesting process, and it's an interesting process right now. But but I wanted to ask you something. Uh, because you brought those characters back after a 30-year hiatus for them, um, yeah. did that, I don't know, did, did that... Uh, cause you to think about uh, perhaps writing some characters into a series or do you prefer to just just continue to write standalone books no i i like i sort of like the idea like in my um this new novel that i've worked on um i'm just finishing called dry heat it takes place in arizona where i was working for um 20 years um and it takes place in um uh, 2007 or 8 but I took a character uh, a minor character from um, Everyone Dies Famous um, uh, Anita who, who has an affair with um, you know, the rich uh, developer and I have her show up in um, in this novel it's not a major role it's just sort of a you know to me it's a fun thing to to connect them and and I you know, if I haven't killed them off, there's always an opportunity to <laughs> bring them back. <laughs> Do you kill off a lot of characters? <laughs> you know, like, it's sort of the easy way. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but that but that spoils it. You don't get to the end and go, but wait, there's more. <laughs> um, so you've got another book in the works. Um are there particular writers that in, inspire you or that you like to, to emulate to some degree? Uh, I like I think I read a, a, a really a wide range of, of fiction. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed the short stories of Raymond Carver, and I read all the you know the classic you know Hemingway and, and Faulkner and and those guys, uh, you know, I got I got different things from them. But I, I um, you know, I, I always say like, um, the, I think more contemporary. There was a, a writer he, he just died a couple of years ago. Ken Harroff uh, wrote the Plain Song series, Plain Song series, like three or four novels take place in I think Colorado. And I mean, I, I just thought they were great. I just loved his his 
you know, his characterizations and the sort of the blue collar rancher type guys. It was I, I was really envious of, of of the storytelling he had in those. And also, like um, you know, I usually use as an example, Elmore Leonard, who's also a sort of a spare prose and total different milieu as in terms of more you know the crime fiction and stuff. But I just loved his stories and uh, and then, you know the way he he rolled them out. I was reading. Uh, someone had uh, written a review. I can't remember where I saw it, but but it was. Uh, a woman who had written the review and said that you wrote from a very male perspective, but as a female reader, she enjoyed the inside look. Um, I, I can't find the exact uh, uh, quote, but I, so I'm paraphrasing. But um, do you think of yourself as as writing primarily from a, a male perspective? Well, I, I always you know, <laughs> I have to think like my that my I have like male and female characters and I'm you know I just always like my female characters and I and I I have quite a few writers uh, and reviewers particularly because it seems like women are more uh, prominently predominantly the readers of fiction than men uh, so I, I I find I often I'm sort of described as a uh, you know, writer of men's fiction but. Yeah, and I, Alex, that's fine with me. But I, I think that the, the books—they're uh, mostly family sagas in a way, and they—they they appeal. They hopefully appeal to men and women. Um, so I don't—I don't know if that answers the question. I've sort of lost track. <laughs> no, no, I, that's 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 fine. Um, it, it, and I apologize for not having the uh, having the exact quote because I thought it was it was. I kind think it was. Schofield, I mean, she's been a real strong su- supporter of mine. Uh, she's, she's a novelist and a you know, writer. She teaches a lot of classes. I had her as a professor for several workshops I took, and and I really enjoyed. You know, she, she she's sort of a, uh, a no nonsense. Uh, you know, not not one to throw out a lot of compliments. So anytime I get any favorable. <laughs> I treasure it. I get, I get it. Um, this is a strange time to be dropping a book or any kind of a project because of the pandemic. Um, is it has it been uh, an inconvenience to you, or do you typically work at home and do you? I don't know. Miss the opportunity to get out and do book signings and interact with people. Well, you know, I definitely miss it, but I, I feel like you know, I, I have adult children who, you know, just trying to make their way in the world, and I see all my, you know, a lot of my friends that I'm training with who are younger, and it's like I feel like I have nothing at all to complain about. I mean, it's like, relatively speaking, you know, my workday hasn't changed. You know, I, I still go out and can train, and I can, and you know, I spend the day writing. And I always worked from my home since I started doing this, so. In that sense, you know, other than the fact you realize you're not seeing anywhere near the number of people you used to encounter, but you know, compared to what I, you know, I just feel for all these guys, you know, I had a business and I know I know how difficult it is whenever you get a disruption, and this is just you know nothing I could have ever imagined, and I just have you know great 
empathy or sympathy for the people trying to make their way, you know, out there in the real world. So I have no complaints. Uh, it's been, uh, you know, everybody has to is suffering through this, and my relative suffering is minor. Uh, yeah, I'd like to have. Would have been nice to have a book launch party because those are always fun, but you know, that's not. Well, I was going to ask you about that because, you know, some writers are, um, uh, writing is a very solitary endeavor, and, and some writers are kind of uncomfortable, uh, you know, getting out uh, among people, um, and, and then some really thrive on it, love the feedback and the interaction, and I just wondered where you were on that spectrum. No, I'd love to get, um, you know, I don't think I'm... Like a tremendous extrovert, but I, you know, definitely love to hear. You know, the, my favorite event is to go to a book club. Um, you know, I've had got to do several of them, and you know, you don't have to say anything. You're just like you're sitting there. It's like being in a workshop, but you know, you don't you don't have to change anything because the book's written, and you get to hear people talking about characters and situations you created, and even arguing about them, and and uh, just. Having you know having that interest in the in the work and then you know maybe at the end answering some questions but you know I, I love that opportunity just you know I, I I know that this is not an easy business to to make a living at I'm glad I, that I don't have to do it to make a living because I, I can see how hard it is I feel for the younger writers but uh, you know I'd love to get readers you know it's like I think I would probably hand out the book on street corners if I could <laughs> get sure people would read it <laughs> that's funny um you were born and went to college um, in in the east or in new york in any event um, but you've been in chicago for a long time and your books have have kind of a midwestern bend to them um do you have you adopted the midwest as home yeah, i'm a, i'm almost a lifelong Chicago Cubs fan now. You know, like, <laughs> That's a real Chicago in there. But you know, even like, I always make this point because I, I would be annoyed when I'd see people refer to themselves as they came from upstate New York and they don't identify where they're from. Because you know, I'm from Canandaigua, New York, which is in western New York. It's in the Finger Lakes. It's a great place. It was a great place to grow up, and you know, I have great memories of it. And they've been a, you know, there's. Uh, it's a small town, not too small. Uh, a lot of my friends are still there. A lot moved away, but you know they have been great supporters of the book. And uh, you know, I I always like to make sure that. And oh, I was going to say like Western New York is more like Midwest than you know like what people think of as New York. It's uh, you know we uh, we're closer to the Midwest in a lot of a sense. And yeah, I. I am, but I would say I've adopted Chicago as as my home. Um, but sometimes in the winter, I don't mind. The, I didn't mind having to run off to Arizona. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> well, Lynn, um, I really appreciate you uh, talking with me, and, and uh, um, I. I, I kind of got to figure out how to wrap this up but i always I do this with all my guests i give them an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and about the books you've written and are writing do you have a website yes uh lenjoybooks.com you know www i think but just lenjoybooks.com 
uh, L-E-N-J-O-Y books, B-O-O-K-S dot com. Well, the book... That would take you to... I've got all my uh, novels and collection of stories listed and also where you can buy the book that's currently available, Everyone Dies Famous. Uh, and... Well, Len, uh, the the book is, uh, as you mentioned, Everyone Dies Famous. It's by Len Joy. He's been my uh, my guest this hour. Len, thank you so much for sharing your time and your talents uh, with me this morning, and best of luck to you with uh, everything you do. Hey, thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity, Tom. All right. Take care. That was Len Joy, author, and we're going to take a short break. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner programs. <laughs> And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Virtual playdates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council.
The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. That was uh, Julia Axe uh, doing that uh, super bad transmittable awful virus uh, takeoff on supercalifragilisticexpialidocious written by the Sherman Brothers. And uh, my musical guest tomorrow for Bandemic is uh, from Los Angeles and is the grandson of one of the Sherman Brothers. Uh, Alex Sherman will be joining me during the 11 o'clock hour to talk about how musicians are faring in L.A. under shutdown conditions and social distancing and all of that, which uh, we're, we're kind of doing every Friday now with uh, uh, local musicians, but we're going to ask some from other parts of the country to weigh in as well. I want to say thanks to all my guests on the show today. We had, uh, of course... Um, started out with uh, Dr. Ron Park from Ancestry Launch. We may play that interview again sometime in the next week or two. There was a little bit of a problem with the automation, and the whole interview didn't play. My apologies to Dr. Park and to uh, the listeners for that. We had a wonderful conversation in the second hour of our three-hour tour uh, with the author of Journey of the Self, Memoir of an Artist, Ruth Ponyarski. And uh, then... We uh, ended uh, with this last hour with uh, author Len Joy, who lives in Chicago, and uh, he's written a new book called Everyone Dies Famous. Very interesting uh, novel. Uh, 
As I mentioned, uh, Bandemic coming up tomorrow with Alex Sherman. His, uh, his dad and stepmom are my favorite Hollywood couple. <laughs> Jeffrey Sherman and, uh, of course, comedian Wendy Liebman. Uh, anyway, uh, there's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories, letting us know it's time to time for me anyway to head down the hall to the living room. I don't know where you're headed, um, but uh, I will be back tomorrow morning at nine o'clock for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. Andrea Sutton returns on Monday for our opening segments, and uh, with that, I guess I'll sign off and just say good night, everybody. show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the flint area many of the pre-recorded portions of the tom sumner program are made possible by flint's own steve mccomb and pencil sketch recording in nashville tennessee if you have comments questions or suggestions about the show find us on facebook this is prue clearwater join us next time for another edition of the tom sumner program and thanks for listening